0: Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy.
1: My dear friend, irritation. A study in the surprising power of embracing pain. Now the title is supposed to catch you a little funny because if there's one thing that most of us would not consider a friend, it's irritation. Uh, there's a reason why Eric Ludi is giving this, because some people wonder, where in the world do, does Eric come up with these ideas for messages? Well, usually if you walk in the skin of a human for any length of time, you find that every single one of us has propensities, and every single one of us has vulnerability points. I What's amazing about, because I, I've, I've studied my life for quite some time, and I have some Amazing capacity for grace and mercy towards bad people in the world. And I can be spat in the face, struck on the cheek, and be loving in response. Some of you are like, what? He really can? It it is. It's truly amazing. But then you give someone a little closer to home to me, a child that's not behaving properly. And it's interesting, but my grace and my mercy threshold is completely different, which thus leads to something we can call irritation and frustration. So, uh, the other thing is, I have another problem, and that is with things. And uh, Bad customer service can get under my skin too, but uh, (laughs) things. The thing like, I, I usually give the blinds, installing blinds, if something doesn't measure correctly or it just can't fit in, Irritation and frustration can flood in to the life of Eric Ludi in the most ridiculous situations. And I get frustrated with it, too, because I know that it does not showcase Jesus Christ. And so God has put his p- finger on this quite a few years ago. I remember seeing Hudson, when he was about one or two years old, down in uh, the playroom, and we had one of those train sets set up for him. And, you know, they're magnetically connected to each other, and he had the wrong side of the magnet, and it wasn't pulling properly, and he was just... And I saw him, and he went, mm. and I remember thinking, you know, I don't look like that on the outside, but I feel that way on the inside. And I realized that the door in the Lutie home had been opened to something to enter in, and that was through Papa. When I had given way to frustration, I mean, I'm just upset with things. I, I don't really get upset with people, and, but I was allowing something in. Now, whatever we traffic in our life has an effect, not just on our life, but on others around us. Now, one of, the, one of the things I want to walk through today in this message is the fact that the way... All of us probably deal with frustration and irritation at some level, okay? And you might be really strong in one area and really bad in another. And one of the things I want to begin to discuss is that there needs to be a thorough search into the Holy Spirit in every domain of our life so that we can show the nature of Christ at all times, not just sometimes. So, we broke this into two messages. The first one is called cranky conservatives. The second one is kindly Christians. Now, most of us that are cranky conservatives would think of ourselves as kindly Christians. And there's this phenomenon known as cranky conservatives. Now, I just made up the word. But where these people, known as us, that know the truth, know better than anyone on earth how we should be living. And yet, we can be some of the crankiest people on earth. You ever run into a rude conservative Christian, a mean conservative Christian, a dour-faced conservative Christian, a frustrated, upset conservative Christian? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's quite a few of them in this room. And so the point that I want to bring up is I want to touch on this. What causes this discrepancy of lifestyle? Irritation. What exactly is it? Well, there's different forms of irritation. For instance, if your uh, arm got caught in some poison ivy, it would be irritated, There would be a response in the physical side of your life that would show some swelling up or some itchiness. And so the same thing happens in our soul, and it becomes annoyance or frustration, anger. And so when our soul is, there's an abrasion against it, and some kind of poison ivy touches our soul, we all are sort of trained to respond a certain way. And some of us respond better than others. The different theories on what leads to irritation and frustration. Have you ever had, like, one of your children is irritated or frustrated, and so the parents sit down and try and discuss what could have caused it. And so here are a few options for you. It is a spiritual attack, the niggling of a conspiring demon. We could blame all of irritation on demonic activity. And I'm not going to say that there isn't a demonic element in this. However, this is oftentimes, this is like, so we cast out the spirit of irritation. And I'm not saying that there isn't a spiritual dimension. However, some of us blame it all on that. It is simply a wrong mentality, a wrong expectation of what life should be and what you deserve. Now I'm going to actually go through and I'll give you what I would deem the recipe for irritation. And I would say it probably involves quite a few of these things. It's a dietary issue. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of a gluten intolerance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is derived from a lack of sleep. Uh-huh, that's one of the most common ones I heard growing up. Eric, you need to get to bed at an earlier bedtime because look at how you're acting today. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed, okay? That's the, that's the old, derived from a lack of sleep. It is a residual effect of a burdened, anxious soul. Your life is going through a difficult stretch, and what do you find yourself? Extra irritable, all right? One of the things that I would always be able to notate is if irritation is beginning to rise in my soul, it's usually rising to the degree that my Soul is becoming lax spiritually. If I find myself diminishing in my discipline of engagement with Jesus Christ in my prayer life, what I find is my irritation levels oftentimes move up accordingly. Or, in, you know, one goes down, the other one goes up. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. One of the things we see in Scripture, if I could just enunciate it very simply, is do not be irritated in that way, do not be frustrated. Well, do everything you do without that inner grumble. You see, that's what grumbling and complaining is. It is a irritation of soul. And Paul says, do everything without any of that. Yeah, you see that? Yeah, you're not supposed to have that. We're like, what? So the message of Christ and the writers of the New Testament, they give a message to Eric Ludi. Here it is. Eric, endure all the challenges, temptations, and sufferings that come your way patiently with perseverance and long suffering. You must rejoice and maintain an incorrigible cheer in all these trials. And do not be surprised when these surly trials come, but be prepared to give thanks in all these things. And Eric, when you are struck on one cheek, turn to the striker, your other cheek also. Love, kindness, gentleness, and constant cheerfulness must be your life's message in and throughout every one of these events, for these are the evidences of your transformed life in Christ. Don't you want to show the world around you that you've been transformed? Well, then behave this way. Now, many of you have had this go through your head. You've turned this over at least one cycle in your mind saying, that's a good idea. I'm not going to be irritated anymore. I will not get frustrated with any of these issues in life. So the key question, but how exactly does one do all this? Now, that's actually what we're going to cover. You know, For those of you that are newly arriving students, that's a semester at Ellerslie. We're going to answer that question. Now, in one message today, I'm not going to attempt to answer all the dilemmas that you will ever face in your spiritual life. However, we're going to pinpoint and go directly sort of like a heat-seeking missile after this one. A different sort of response. One of the things we have a tendency to do is have trained responses. And so that's why brothers, like little brothers... uh, all growing up, you could have the same response to a little brother because you have a trained response to him. You just know how he's going to act in that situation. And there, there he goes. And boom, out comes the trained response. I had a trained response for my mom. My mom, I just knew what side of any issue she would take. I usually was the opposite. If she said black, I'd say white. If she said grace, I'd say law. In other words, it was always the opposite side of the coin. We might have both been right, but I had to take the opposite side, and so I could just hear it. Oh, there she goes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there goes my mom, always taking that one side, always bringing up that one issue, and it usually was to correct me. Or how about we're driving down the road, and the doors lock, and she puts on the gas, and out comes the lecture.
0: Oh, boy, the
1: lecture. And it would be an abrasion against my soul. And so... What we're looking at in Christianity is, yes, I realize you've always responded that way, but Christianity sets you free. The cross has done a work to set you free to actually respond opposite of what you would typically respond like. So don't be a victim to your response. Grab a hold of the grace that is given to you at the cross and allow this pattern to shift. So I witnessed three things all in a short period of time that did something as far as bring this to the surface. Because overall, I can blame a lot of little subtleties. For instance, a, a, a child wiggling when I'm trying to get them dressed. Okay, that's an abrasion. Now, most of you out there would go, that's not that big of a deal, Eric. I realize it's not, which is why on the outside, I just do things like jerk them into place. I don't say anything. I just... Ugh. All right all right, now here we're going to go. We're going to put, but it's, it's a subtle thing that I might do. Okay. So when I was in these three illustrations, I saw something very different than the jerk into place. You know, I have all sorts of, unfortunately, all sorts of other types of illustrations for that. But Charles Ingalls, we were watching a little house in the prairie and what's Charles Ingalls wife's name? You know, the wife in that Carolyn. Okay. So Carolyn was going shopping. She was going to, sell some eggs to the Olsons. Oh, boo. Uh, (laughs) The the dad Olson's really nice. That that mom. uh, And I got irritated just watching it. But she's trying to, you know, sell some brown eggs. And the lady said they were worth four cents less. And so Carolyn is like trying to handle this. She's upset. And so she comes back and she does this whole thing to sort of Get back at the lady, and uh it's that's not the part of the story I want you to know. But she's sort of triumphant in the situation, and Mrs. Olson has to concede. And so she immediately takes her money almost as a way of getting back at Mrs. Olson and buys some very, very expensive cloth because Carolyn is deemed the country girl, and country girls can't dress the way Mrs. Olson can afford to dress. And so she goes right to the most expensive cloth, this is Carolyn. Sort of as a way of getting back and buys a whole bunch of it to build and make herself a dress. The whole while Mrs. Olson is saying, you, you can't, that'll get dirty where you live. And she goes, I'm going to buy it. And she goes home. Now she's feeling really bad. She has spent more than she should. Now let's ask the men in here. You know, when, when your wife comes home with some expensive cloth and her reasons for it may not be completely right, how do you respond Now in this situation, I can easily put myself into Charles Ingalls position. We have overspent in our budget. We had that money from the sale of those eggs was supposed to go to her, you know, you fill in the blank. And I am a budgetary thinker. In other words, I think monetarily at almost every moment of every day. And so if the cloth is purchased, what could my response be? Now I might not say anything, you know, sort of like jerking the kid into place, but I might be silent. There's different ways that you can express a little irritation because there's an abrasion on the soul. Charles Ingalls blows everything out of the water, and he says, honey, I don't know if he used the word honey, but Carolyn, the prettiest woman in these parts needs to have the prettiest dress. I'm glad you bought the cloth. So I'm watching that going, what in the world was that? (laughs) Henry and the boxcar children. So there's this little video, you know, the boxcar children. Well, it's like a little video, a little uh, cartoony video. It's actually, it was really good. It's not like it's a spiritual, you know, uplifting thing, but there's something about it that intrigued me and as I was watching with my kids, and that is that The behavior of the children, one unto the other, is always respectful and honorable. There are so many situations when you're running from people, you're living in a boxcar, you have nothing, no idea where your next meal is going to come from, plenty of opportunity for abrasion against the soul. Henry, the oldest brother, is always protecting, he's always sensitive to the little boy, and everything about it is just opposite of what I'm feeling like it should be if it was a reality show. If it's a reality show, Henry's not going to act that way, we all know it. And yet the way Henry's acting is the way that every single one of us wants to behave. You see, there's no irritation. There was no frustration in the midst of a crisis. And there was something about that that was so intriguing. Miss Hillary and the little tumbling munchkins. So I took uh, Reese and Lily to a little tumbling class. And there's Miss Hillary's the one running the tumbling class. And I've never seen so much energy in all my life. (laughs) And so just as I survey the room full of tumblers, I get tired. I thrive with collegiate-aged on up. I'm really good with that age, and I have a tremendous grace for that. You know, And there's some challenges in collegiate on up. That's the people that are very argumentative and have a sound opinion on what they believe. But all these that are under that age are hard. It is a lot of work. So I look at a whole bunch of little two- to four-year-olds, and I mean, it just starts to uh, take the wind out of me. And yet, Miss Hillary had energy for this, and she was jumping around, and these kids were misbehaving. So I'm in the the back, and I'm looking at Reese and Lily doing the exact opposite. You know, sit here with your rear end against the glass, I think was the the thing that they were supposed to do. And guess what they do? She turns her back, and they begin to waddle out uh, into the. And I'm like, hey, guys, what? And what does she do? She turns and goes, Oh, what are you guys doing? You want to follow me? And she's changing everything into some joyful thing. It's like they're disobeying. <laughs> My paternal instinct is to correct in that situation, not to make a joke out of it and hug them and then stick them against, it's to <laughs> grab them and say, Hey, Daddy asked you to stay right there. And every single one of the fathers are going to go, exactly right. <laughs> Amen. (laughs) It starts with a change of thinking on irritation. Okay, heres we're going to throw a little curveball at our thinking. I have a theory. I know this is going to seem a little strange, but my theory is irritation is actually good. I need to do some explaining on this one. Irritation is actually good? You've got to be kidding. It's how you handle it that makes it constructive rather than destructive. There is something that is coming against your soul. By the way, you live in a world in which irritants are always around you. There is a constant irritation floating around. However, most of us do not handle irritation properly, and as a result, it's destructive in our soul. It destroys us instead of builds us stronger. You see, it's the equivalent of being on a weight bench. If you weren't expecting to have a weight pushed on your, on your chest, you would be upset about it, wouldn't you? But if you deliberately laid down and said, all right, is anyone here to spot me? All right, good. And then someone stuck a weight on your chest, you wouldn't be upset, you would just push against it. In fact, you go, yeah, yeah, after you pushed it up and put it back on the rack, like, yeah. Maybe the girls wouldn't do that exact thing. The two kinds of irritation, destructive and constructive. Very different effects upon the soul. And I would hazard a guess that most of us have never learned how to handle irritation towards a constructive end. In fact, even as I'm preparing this message, I had so many baits this very week. It's better to stay away from messages like this. However, God was pressing me to show me how desperately I am in need of this very message and this very mentality. Because even as I'm preparing it, there's irritants. It's like, God, they're all over the place. Eric, use them. Use them properly properly. So my case for the virtues of irritation. So I'm gonna give you three argument points that I'm gonna build on throughout the rest of our time. It's God's chosen means of saintly construction. Now, most of us wouldn't use the term irritation. We'd say things like trials, temptations, sufferings. Yeah, those are the things that God uses to actually build us into saints of God or those that reveal his holiness and his glory, his behavior. He uses irritation, Yeah, he does. It's the secret avenue through which the soul obtains greater grace and power. You want greater grace and power in your life? You have to know how to deal with irritation properly. And its end, irritation's end, if embraced and handled properly is always the glory of God. In other words, if you knew that and you understood that, that when it's handled properly, it brings about a greater glory, you'd call it friend instead of enemy. Irritating argument number one. Even the arguments themselves are sort of irritating to our soul. We don't want this to be true. We don't want this to be God's chosen means for refining us and making us stronger. I don't want that. I, wouldn't, I would much rather just go to a gym and work out with weights. I do not want to have my soul have to go to the weight room of irritation. I don't want to have to deal with anything that doesn't go my way. I want things in order. I want things clean, smelling nice. I do not want things to be opposite the way I prefer them. And yet this life will not be as you prefer it. It has not come prepackaged to bring a solace and a comfort to your soul. It comes prepackaged with difficulty. It's a narrow way to get into heaven. It is not the easy road. And when you begin to stand up for righteousness, you will realize that there are irritants all over the place to go directly against that which you set your course to do. So argument number one, it's God's chosen means of saintly construction, a basic truth that would do us all well to acknowledge. And this is a very, very basic truth. God knows best. You see, as we get into this idea that the way of God builds his saints, we could argue and say, I just think there's a lot better ways to do it. You know, there's a lot of psychological training modules for how you can have a better life. There's entire books about having your best life now that veer completely off course from God's method for how you gain a great life. Isn't that ironic? Even written by Christians. You see, God has a pattern for how he builds his saints, and yet it's not the pattern that any of us would choose. In fact, most of us, if we had it laid out for us in a multiple-choice We would never pick this. It would be like the .001% of us that would choose it. It would be like Bear Grylls that would choose it. It's like, yeah, that sounds fun. (laughs) The eagle in the nest. Now, some of you have maybe heard me talk about the eagle in the nest. But in Deuteronomy, God is likened unto a mother eagle. And the Lord's, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So we see this picture of God overseeing and watching over like a father, like a mother, like a parent, over his children, known as Jacob. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. So God cared for Jacob the way an eagle cares for his, or her in this case, her children, or her eaglets. So what's interesting is the way an eagle is built by God, created by God. God created an eagle, and he created an eagle to demonstrate a certain quality of his nature. And so eagles build their nests in far uh, up, hard to reach places, very safe, and they're like palaces. In the bird kingdom, eagles' nests are like castles, and they're the, the, where the wealthy would live. I mean, they are extraordinary, secure, safe from predators. I mean, they're eagles' nests. Well, that's the same with God. He builds the ultimate salvation for us in and through Jesus Christ, and it is safe from all predatorial uh, inclination, now, anything that's out to get us we have Christ. However, the way an eagle prepares that little eaglet for life and a strong life to fly as mother eagle flies, because for instance, that baby eaglet can't fly. It's sitting there in its nice cozy nest, which is, by the way, all the down of of, of a a feather. With a feather, there are certain parts of a feather which prick, and there's certain parts of a feather that are nice and soft. Well, the downy part is what the little baby eaglet is lounging on in the joy of his newfound salvation. He's just loving life. And so mother eagle has an agenda for baby eaglet and that is that baby eaglet would grow up to be like her and would be able to fly. You know, eagles have the strength in their wings to fly above storms. So a storm can come, but an eagle can fly above it. So therefore, yeah, there's a storm, but the eagle's not complaining about it. Why? Because it's above the storm as opposed to beneath it. And so mother eagle wants to train baby eaglet to fly. And so what does she do? Baby Eaglet's, you know, lounging in the cozy, downy nest, and Mother Eagle begins to stir up the nest. That's what it's called, stirring up the nest. Mother Eagle sort of looks like she's gone crazy. And now all the pinions are sticking up, so the uncomfortable part of the feather is now jabbing into little Baby Eaglet. Baby Eaglet's like, excuse me, ow, oh, I, I can't even find a comfortable spot. And then what does Mother Eagle do? Uh, she starts hovering. You know when a little hummingbird hovers, it's pretty extraordinary. But have you ever seen an eagle hover? I, don't, I haven't. But they literally hover over the nest. See what kind of wind pressure you'd be creating if you were hovering as an eagle? So who's underneath that wind pressure? Baby eaglet. Pressed against what? The pinions. So she has to resist. Little baby eaglet, for her life, has to press. What's happening when she does? She has strengthened a little muscle in both of her wings that is necessary to be strengthened so that she can fly. And as she produces that resistance, there's an oil that lubricates and spreads along her wings so that she will be able to fly. Without those two things happening, baby eaglet wouldn't be able to fly. Mother knows best in this situation, but mother can't communicate straight to baby eaglet of what she's doing, so baby eaglet needs to trust. This is the key to what we're going to be talking about today. God knows best. Though your method is going to be sort of like Baby Eaglet. I'm fine, Mom. I don't even need to fly. I think I can just live in this nest for the rest of my life. Mother Eagle knows that Baby Eaglet must grow up. God knows that we must grow up. We cannot stay as we are. The mystery of cranky conservatives, the subtle distortion of the truth in the sphere of religion. Why is it that those that have the truth most correctly are oftentimes the most difficult to be around? You ever notice that one? strange phenomenon. Well, let's walk through it really quick. When the truth is lacking Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Many, of you, Many of you have heard that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. So when you extract truth, or the data of truth, from the person of truth, you end up with something that is very unhealthy. It's called cranky conservatives. In other words, when you take Jesus, or the nature of love, mercy, kindness, everything that Jesus is from the truth, you end up with a distortion, a cranky conservative. The three forms of heresy. Heresy is a big no-no. No No one wants to get close to the word. No one wants to be called a heretic. It means you're off. You're in disagreement with God. You are attempting to represent God, but oh boy, you're you're not at all in alignment with him. Doctrinal heresy. The reason I'm putting it as a number two because I said there's three forms of heresy and most of us think that doctrinal heresy is the big no-no. By the way, it is a no-no. You don't want to be doctrinally errant. You want to be doctrinally correct. You want to be right with what it says in Scripture. However, most of us are convinced that it is the worst. And so as a result, we'll you know, kick people out for being doctrinal heretics. We'll shut them up. And by the way, that's probably a good idea. You don't want to encourage it. However, doctrinal heresy, getting the message of the Bible wrong, well, it's going to hurt your life. Number, oh, there it is, two and three, organizational heresy, applying the teachings of the Bible incorrectly in marriage, family, church, and government. And so I'm going to put this as two and three. I want to give you a little sneak peek into what is the greatest, most deadly form of heresy. And this is the one that oftentimes masquerades in the Christian world untested, unchallenged. In other words, we will not put up with a doctrinal heretic. We will not put up with someone who builds their church after a wrong governmental pattern and doesn't have the proper eldership and the bishops in place. I don't even have a test for it. Or how about this marriage that isn't structured correctly? I mean, the, the woman's going off and doing this and the husband's doing that. I mean, come on, haven't you read the scriptures? We get up in arms over this as conservatives, and yet we skip over the most primary form of being right with God. We'll call it behavioral heresy. It's how you behave. Your life shouldn't just be accurate in its thinking, it should be accurate in its living. So, behavioral heresy to be right doctrinally and even organizationally correct, but to live, speak, and act in a manner contrary to Jesus Christ. Are we heretics? are we violating the very clear enunciation of Scripture, trying to be right in all our outward religious existence, and yet being wrong in the very way we bring it? How is a child going to be raised if we teach them all that is doctrinally correct and yet abuse them with our words? We abuse them with our attitude and our actions. Something is wrong. A study in the life of Eric Luty, the godly sort of life I esteem. I esteem a godly life. I have been changed I am. I don't want to call myself a cranky conservative. However, I have been. I have been a cranky conservative. I hate to even say that because I can't stand cranky conservatism. However, every single one of us in here understands what I mean by that. Our life is not always matched up. We have walked in transgression against the clear enunciation of the behavior of Jesus Christ. And what Paul enunciates in the New Testament is like, hey, this is the way you're supposed to be living, Eric. Oh, So let's look at the godly sort of life that I esteem. You guys are going to be impressed. I like things clean. Don't you like things clean? I mean, I love things clean. Have you ever thrown six kids into that one statement? (laughs) I like things clean. Now just sort of, you know, follow it through the trajectory from there. When Leslie and I were first married, we lived in a condo that was being shown like uh, for real estate purposes. They were trying to, I don't know, lease it or sell it. I don't remember what the situation was. So we had to clean it every day. Leslie and I got in the rhythm of that. And so every day of our married life, we would always pick up, and the house had to look a certain way throughout that day. Throw Hudson, the firstborn, in there, and suddenly it's like our system was just falling to pieces. What happens to Eric? This used to look good kids. You see, this is the the origins or the genesis of how irritation works. I have a desire. Is my desire good? Well, you can make a discernment on that or make a judgment on that. I like things in order. There's a place for everything and I prefer it to be there. I do not like toys strewn across the living room. Toys belong in the classroom and technically if we're going to get at it, when they're in the classroom they should be in their proper bin on the proper shelf. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I like my house to smell good. We adopted a dog from a shelter who does not have the same value system. (laughs) Have you ever noticed, and some of you it's been a while, but the effects of dirty diapers upon a house environment as far as the smell quality? (laughs) What is that? I like my car to look good. There is some propensity that my kids have to step in mud and then to get into my car which is supposed to be clean and to stick their feet against the back of the seats is it wrong that i would desire the back of my seat to be clean aren't isn't leather supposed to be clean always it should never be marred i like my clothes to be without wrinkles is it too much to ask When it comes out of the dryer, you pull the jeans out and lay them somewhere so they're not a wrinkled mess by the time daddy gets to them. I like to be surrounded by pleasant noises. (laughs) Soft music, the patter of rain, all fine. They all fall within the boundaries of what is improved within my soul. But screaming, shouting, that's too loud. Not allowed. Now, I am over-exaggerating everything I'm saying, however, this is the source of irritation. You see, I have standards, and my standards seem very godly to me. I like to not spend money. I like to save. I like to see my resources build up and gain interest. Oh, that's a godly desire, and yet, just get married and begin to see the effects on that one. (laughs) But then add six kids, and it's funny, but things begin to whittle down that you dream. You stick it on paper, and it looks really good on paper. And over time, this will then become this. And then you look over that same time in reality, and what? What happened to it? It wasn't me. And you look around the room. <laughs> Are these bad desires? Doesn't God like things clean, in order, smelling fresh without spot or wrinkle? You see, I can give you an argument. That would silence everyone that says, oh, come on, Eric, God doesn't care about those things. Oh, yes, he does. You see, this is where a cranky conservative comes from. You see, I'm right. My desires are in alignment. Doesn't he desire a joyful noise and not a noisome gong? And doesn't he advocate saving, investing, and showing a good return on our talents when he returns? Ah, he does. So isn't my response proper? Isn't my response correct? Because... God is against sin, and I tell you what, anything that violates that is against his order and his nature. Hmm. You see, this is where a cranky conservative comes from. I'm right. The two sides to every truth. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And most of us, the way irritation destroys us is we pronounce and capitalize and highlight and make big judgment. Judgment is of God. God is the judge, and he is. He has standards, and yet He does. And yes, when you pronounce those bigger and make it highlighted larger and underline it more than mercy, you are distorted in the revelation of truth unto everyone in your path. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a truth Of the nature of God in his kingdom. Mercy is the extension of a grace. It's the extension of a God response to that which is not correct. You know, God judges sin, and yet here we are with hope in this room. Why? Because of this fact. God could have sent us all to hell without even a trial. We deserve it. Case could be shut and closed. Instead, he extended out a mercy. If mercy doesn't triumph over judgment, Christianity is non-existent. So in your Christianity, don't you think it makes sense that judgment cannot triumph over mercy, but mercy must triumph over judgment in our souls? What is irritation frustration? Here's a very simple definition. It's when judgment triumphs over mercy. This, this is not the way I want my life to be. This is not the way my kids should behave. They are wiggling. That smell is of the devil. (laughs) Whatever it is, my tastes and my sensibilities may be accurate. However, the way in which I pursue keeping my home orderly, clean and smelling nice is very, very important. If I'm a cranky conservative husband and father and pastor, well, I'm doing more harm than good. Irritation and frustration is a form of behavioral heresy where the soul holds to the letter of judgment and refuses to be in agreement with God's nature of loving kindness and thus aborts and aborts God's refining pearl-making work in the soul. The second half of this, I'm going to talk about pearl-making. And so that's going to make more sense in light of the second. However, when we... Do not allow mercy to triumph over judgment. We abort God's processes in the soul. God wants to do something. He wants to make something out of this difficulty, out of this challenge that we're facing.
0: Thank you so much for listening to part one of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.